votre au quotidien. C'est sur Taïwan. Oui. fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. It is an area which we call the mystical underground. In 2012, we published a nine-part series on our blog about a French-Canadian couple's close encounter with a UFO and the startling aftermath involving a psychic explosion and emotional breakdown of the man we call Charles Fontaine. The series of articles led to our book, Aliens in the Backyard, UFO Encounters, Abductions, and Synchronicity. The triggering event happened March 28th of 2011, so it has been just over 10 years. I'm going to read those blog posts, which have been slightly edited for context and clarity. After I've read this traumatic story, I'll include an update from the man, Charles Fontaine, about his thoughts and feelings 10 years after the event. Charles approached us with his story after he stumbled upon our blog when he Googled the words UFOs and synchronicity. He was startled because what appeared was an image of a craft beaming lights onto a field. That was what he had seen at the beginning of his experience. Charles was also startled when he found out that the bloggers, Trish and I, were also the authors of a book he'd recently purchased and was reading the French edition of the Seven Secrets of Synchronicity. The following story is long and quite involved, but fascinating. At times it reads like a modern-day gothic horror tale. It begins in a graveyard nine days before the UFO encounter. We usually think of hauntings and aliens as two separate scenarios, but Charles is convinced that what happened in the graveyard was somehow related to what followed. Part 1. The Graveyard I guess it all started on Saturday afternoon, March 19, 2011. The day was sunny, cold, with very strong wind and a bit of snow still covering the ground. A couple days before, I started a project to create a family tree. I decided to call my father and ask him for help identifying family tombstones in our hometown cemetery, which was located a short distance beyond a farmer's field behind our house. When we arrived, I took out three sheets of paper and a list of family names. While my father located the tombstone, I made notes on the dates of births and deaths. But a strong wind came up, making it difficult to write. So I went back to my car for a digital camera and began taking photos of the family gravestones. One of my father's brothers was buried in the cemetery February 19, 2011, exactly a month earlier. My father and I did not attend my uncle's funeral because 
of a long-standing family dispute dating back to 1984. It involved a family business and was serious enough that it had to be settled in court. It was very difficult for my father not to go, but it would have been uncomfortable with other unfriendly family members there. Something happened that day in the cemetery. My father started feeling very strange and frightened. Something frightened him, but he didn't know what it was. Later he asked me if I had heard him screaming in the wind, calling for me. He said he heard a voice in his head that seemed to be coming from outside of him. It said, tell your son not to stay there. Get him away quickly. I did remember hearing my father calling to me. At the time I was taking pictures of the family tombstone where my recently deceased uncle was buried. I walked away from the grave and looked for my father. Oddly, even though I had heard his voice, I had trouble finding him. That evening, I took my 17-year-old daughter to a nearby city for her part-time job working at a restaurant. On the way there, I started feeling a pain in my stomach and began sweating profusely. I felt wetness in my pants and pulled into a gas station. I hurried to the restroom, embarrassed, thinking I'd peed on myself. It was worse. My pants were filled with blood. My first thought was that I was going to die. My father had colon cancer 20 years earlier, but was saved by surgery. Now it was my turn. I went to a clinic and was examined by an emergency physician. At his recommendation, I made an appointment with a doctor who specialized in colon surgery. I would see him at 8.30 a.m. March 28th. Little did I know how important that date would become for me. Not because of the appointment, but because of the astonishing and frightening event that would take place in the early morning hours of that day. Part two, the encounter. Sunday evening, March 27th, 2011. It was still very cold outside and I decided to stay down in the basement where I added logs to the wood-burning stove. I lay down the couch and watched TV while my wife, Helene, and our daughter, Bridget, remained on the first floor watching television. My dog, Spot, a fox terrier, was laying in front of the stove on his pet bed, a favorite resting place. I expected him to remain there the whole night. Later, my daughter came downstairs to her bedroom. That's when I turned off the light, put some more logs into the stove, and fell asleep on the couch. At 3 a.m., I was awakened by the sound of Helene yelling and making noises. I got up to see what was going on and noticed that Spot was no longer on his bed. I went upstairs headed to, and headed to the master bedroom. The lights were on and my wife was standing beside the bed asking the dog to get down. Spot was acting very aggressive, showing his teeth and refused to obey. We'd never seen him act that way before. It was clear that something was wrong with him, but what? Finally, with the help of a dog treat, I was able to get his attention. As he came out of the bedroom for the treat, my wife asked me to take him down the basement and close the door. I did as she asked and laid back down on the couch. I was awakened again at 4.50 a.m. by cries from Spot. He was standing in front of the wood stove, trembling and shaking as he looked toward the window on the southeast side of the house. I usually wake up at 5 a.m. and let the dog outside 
then feed him. By 5.30, I wake up my daughter and we drive together to Montreal where I work and she goes to college. This morning though, March 28th was different. Spot didn't want to go outside. Instead, he was trying to alert me to something unusual going on outside the house. I open the door to the, to the stairs. Usually he races ahead of me, anxious to get outside. This morning though, he wouldn't follow me, even after I called him. He continued to tremble and looked toward the same window. I walked towards him and touched the right side gently to comfort him. That's when a strange feeling came to mind that he was going to die soon. After a while, he calmed down and followed me up the stairs. I walked to the patio door, which faces east, and reached down for his leash. That's when I noticed beams of light, very low in intensity, in the expansive fields behind the house. I opened the patio door, but the dog refused to go out. I grabbed him, forced him out, and closed the door. As Spot passed our motion detector sensor, the patio spotlights came on automatically, illuminating the backyard. I couldn't see the light rays any longer, so I hit the switch, turning off the lights. After a few seconds, my eyes adjusted, and I saw the beams of light again. Now they were closer and much more intense. They seemed to get brighter and brighter, closer and closer, so, I, so close to my backyard. I counted nine of them, their beams reaching the ground. The shapes of the beams were like ice cone, ice cream cones, but inverted. They were brighter near the ground and lost intensity towards the top. If there was anything above the cone, I couldn't see it. I didn't have any idea what I was looking at. At first, I thought they might be solid acrylic tubes of light. They were all displayed asymmetrically in the large field. I could even see energy rising inside the beams but the energy was not the same in each one and they were not glowing identically. I had no idea what I was looking at, but it was beautiful. I actually felt paralyzed by the spectacle. I watched for a couple minutes, then went back inside the house and called out to Helene. Are you awake? When she answered that she was, I asked her to come out to the patio. I said, Spot is outside and acting kind of strange. I think he could die. And I want to know if you can see the same thing I do. We walked out to the patio and looked out the looked out the window of the door. Wow, what is it? Pyrotechnics? Helena asked. This is exactly what I told you about the other day. This is what I saw. My attention shifted to a vertical tube hanging just above our weeping willow tree to the right side of the yard, right in our backyard. It glowed as brightly as lightning for a few seconds, then vanished and reappeared again over and over. Do you see that one to the right, I asked, but Helene didn't respond. I was amazed, almost paralyzed by the sight, but not fearful. Gradually, I was able to barely perceive a gray steel-like structure on either side of the tube. I kept staring, and on the last two illuminations of the tube, I saw something that seemed out of this world. I clearly saw beads of very bright white lights shaped like O-rings or Cheerios that floated in the tube, but didn't touch each other. The tube itself now appeared a blue hue, but the O-rings were bright white. I opened the patio door calling for the dog. Then I blacked out. That's the only way I can describe it. Because the next thing I knew I was in the shower, washing my hair. I was confused acting like a zombie. 
I felt like I had a hangover. The pressure in my head was painful. I headache like never before. I was, wasn't scared, just confused. As I showered, I remembered what I'd seen in the backyard, but I wondered what I was doing in the shower and why I wasn't standing by the patio door. I shaved, dried my hair, brushed my teeth, all as if on automatic pilot. Then I went back to the patio. It was still dark outside, but the tubes of light were gone. I didn't even bother to look in the bedroom for Helene. I left with my daughter on time and drove to the city and got to work by 7 a.m. right on time. I sat in my office all alone, the door closed. I was looking at the floor, still feeling this huge pressure in my head. My eyes hurt, and then I started realizing that what happened to us. No words could explain just how I felt. These things were not supposed to exist. They were only supposed to be a product of Hollywood, American fiction. I was 49 years old and I started to cry and would do so repeatedly for months to come. I was struck with a reality that does not exist for the major majority of people. I was now in mourning for my life and I started to become very frightened. As I sat in my office, I actually wished I had never been born. During the day, I even thought seriously about committing suicide. I felt as if I'd been used, abused, and controlled against my will. They made the rules. They let me wake up my wife, and then they controlled the game. Deep inside of me, I wanted to scream, to let people know they exist. But I was scared that no one would believe me. In the months that followed, people have asked why I didn't take photos of the lights. I didn't think at all about my camera, which was in the basement. I was not born with a cell phone in my hand either, like the new generation. Also, it was 5 a.m. Plus, if you see the Airbus A380 pass over your house at a low, very low altitude, you do not run for the camera because it might not be there when you get back. Besides, after a point, I was no, no longer in control of my actions. Part three, Helene's story. On the same day of his extraordinary experience, Charles went to see a colon surgeon as scheduled. Oddly enough, that in itself could be considered a synchronicity. That's because numerous abductees have described painful invasive procedures on their bodies, including rectal probes. Often these memories are obtained through hypnotic regression. For Charles, there would be many more synchronicities, but also terrible anxiety and profound strangeness. Okay, back to Charles and the story. I arrived at the clinic that morning on time, and while I awaited my appointment with the specialist, I kept thinking it was all a dream, a bad dream, that it was impossible. It could not be real. I moved away from everyone else, looked down at the floor and cried. Finally, I met the doctor, filled out a questionnaire, and was given a prescription to take the day before the colonoscopy that was scheduled for April 26. I returned to work and remained behind a closed door where again I cried. I did the minimum amount of work required. I was so tired. I had no energy. I left the office at 4 p.m. I couldn't continue any longer. I picked up my daughter at college and drove home. She was not aware of what happened earlier in the day. I hadn't told her because I didn't want to scare her. On the way home, she was talking to me about her day at school, but I wasn't listening. I couldn't concentrate. I felt a constant pressure in my head, 
and all I wanted to do was cry. Finally, Bridget turned to me and frowned. What is wrong with you, Dad? Are you crying? As soon as we arrived home, I walked over to the patio door and looked through the window. I tried to evaluate the distance that thing that I call the machine had been from the house. It had been blinking off and on and moving closer and closer, and I figured it was about 150 feet away when I blacked out. I moved to the kitchen where Helene was preparing dinner. As she met my gaze, I said, and so? She looked confused at a loss as to what I was referring to, as if she already had forgotten what happened or couldn't quite remember. And so what? At this point, I was afraid her memory had been wiped clean and I was the only one who remembered. And that had made it even more frightening. So this morning, I responded, you know, I woke up, I woke you at 5 a.m. Look on her face changed instantly. That was special, she said in a quiet voice. What was special? The beam of light, the energy rising inside the cones, all the colors, all the energy at the bottom of the cones. It was all so special. It was getting brighter and brighter and was being pulled up towards the top of the cones. Do you remember hearing me ask you uh, to look on the right side? I said, do you see the tube? Can you see it? She said she remembered hearing me but was too fascinated by the beams of light out in the field and said she could only count five of them. She remembered feeling hypnotized or paralyzed and nothing. She didn't remember how long she stayed there or how she got to the bedroom, but she felt as if she had floated through the air and was gently placed on the mattress. Instantly, she felt like she weighed a ton, felt like ma the mattress completely wrapped her. She fell asleep and woke up as usual at 7 a.m. She felt very rested, which is she found odd. She, she wondered, how could she feel so rested when she had a short night of sleep because of all the interruptions? She had no problem getting to work on time. Then her mind seemed to clear. Wait, do you remember? I told you that I had seen this same thing once before. She recalled standing beside her car, watching them. She remembered thinking that she wished Charles and Bridget were with her to see the spectacle. I asked what, wh where she was when it happened. I don't know exactly, but don't you remember? It was about two weeks ago on a Thursday night. I got home around 8.30, and I told you that something scared me while I was driving, but you weren't paying any attention to what I was saying. I told her that I remembered, but I thought it was about a deer crossing the road in front of her. You were always afraid of deer, so I didn't bother listening. Then she seemed to recall more about the incident. I was alone on this country road that I take every day. And you know me, I always drive safely, keeping a watch out for deer that might jump out in front of my car. Suddenly this strange reflection appeared on my windshield reflection of something strange, shaped like a muffin mold, inverted, with three inlaid red dials. She realized that the reflection wasn't from something inside the car, but from out, an object outside of it. Then she sensed a huge bright light moving very fast toward the side of her car. I instantly 
closed my eyes, my whole body tensed. I was afraid and expecting to be hit by something coming towards me. For a moment, I thought that was it. I was going to get hurt. Then I opened my eyes and looked to my left, the side that the light was coming from. For a moment, I clearly glimpsed about 30 deer lying in a field. I thought it might be related to something going on at the army base a couple of miles away, or maybe a lightning strike. The next thing she remembered was standing outside somewhere on a road, but she had no idea where. I was alone, outside my car, watching those cones of light, exactly the same thing as we both saw this morning. Finally asked Helene, what if I didn't ask you about this morning? She replied, then I probably would have forgotten everything. A bit later, we all sat down at the dinner table. I wasn't hungry at all and started complaining about this constant pressure in my head. I felt very depressed. The dog didn't feel well either. He didn't come to me as he usually does when I come home from work. He stayed in the bedroom, on the bed, looking all the time toward the patio door in the other room. My wife said that he had not gone outside to pee since morning. My daughter thought we were acting strange and asked what was wrong with us. We blamed it on the dog not feeling well and waking us up early in the morning. After dinner, I wanted to go behind the house to the field and take a look around, but it was already getting dark and I was afraid. My wife and I stayed up late talking about this experience. She comforted me. I was crying again, feeling frightened, but she was not scared or shocked by this event like I was. She even told me, you know what happened to us is exactly like if we had won the lottery. We were lucky enough to see something that others will probably never see in their entire lives. But the difference between winning the lottery and what we saw is that you can prove to people that you won the lottery by showing them the winning ticket. But with our experience, Charles, we have no proof. I have no choice but to shut up. I think I was more frightened than Helene because she didn't see what I saw. She focused on the energy beams in the cones of light, but I had seen the tube hanging in the air with the O-rings, which was something different. I knew it was a machine, a vehicle from outside this world, a UFO in my own backyard. As the evening grew late, I became more and more depressed. I was linked with something that did not even exist in my mind or in my life the day before. I wanted to scream to people to be aware that such things existed. I hardly slept at all that night. I woke up every hour. I was in the basement again on the couch with a baseball bat within my reach. I would wake up and cry over and over throughout the night. My life had become a nightmare. Part four, looking for answers. As the story continues, it moved beyond a record of an experience of something strange and unknown. It focuses on how the encounter affects those involved and how the encounter triggers more unusual events. In the aftermath, Charles remains distraught. He begins an investigation to find out if others living nearby saw the cones of light. In doing so, he makes it a surprising discovery. The next day, Tuesday, March 29th. I cannot say that I woke up, but rather stood up, since I did not sleep at all during the night. I was still afraid, acting like a coward. I walked upstairs with the baseball bat in my hand and took a quick look toward the patio door. The dog was not around. He stayed in the master bedroom, didn't even move, or asked to go out for his morning pee. 
I got ready for work as usual and arrived on time. I was still very confused, depressed, and haunted by suicidal thoughts. I still felt the pressure in my head. I felt it constantly. I was crying and hiding in my office. I had trouble focusing on my work. Later that same day, I decided to leave the office early. I stopped at the college, picked up my daughter, and drove home. As soon as we arrived home, I went behind the house and looked for clues or traces of what I had witnessed. I decided to jump across the ditch to the field where I searched for traces, anything disturbed or unusual, but there was nothing other than the frozen plowed ground. I looked toward the farm to the south, which was about a thousand feet away, not far, and wondered if the farmer had seen anything. Every morning after I get out of bed and let the dog out, the farmer is already in his barn. All the lights inside the barn are turned on, and by then he's probably already milking the cows. I walked over to the farmhouse, greeted the farmer, and asked if he had noticed any, noticed lights or anything strange in the field yesterday morning at five, around 5 a.m. By the look on his face, I quickly realized he hadn't seen anything. He asked, what do you mean by lights and st something strange? I didn't want to tell him the truth and be pointed out as the village idiot, so I said, I saw some people on ATVs riding on the field near the ditch and thought they could have been thieves at that time of day. I left disappointed that he hadn't seen anything. I then decided to visit another neighbor. After greeting the man, I asked what time he usually got up for work. He said between 5 and 5.30. I asked about yesterday morning, and he said he'd gotten up at 5.30. Did you see anything strange yesterday morning behind the house in the field? He said he didn't remember if he had looked behind the house. That's when his wife, Erica, called out from the basement. What? Have you seen a UFO? She wasn't laughing. In fact, she sounded nervous. Again, I decided against telling what I'd seen. I told them the same story about the ATV drivers that I had told the farmer. But Erica, who had come upstairs from the basement, asked the same question again. Have you seen a UFO? I know that's it. Tell me, is that what you saw? I hesitated and she added, this is weird because a couple of weeks ago, one of my cousins, who I haven't seen for years, and he's never come here, called us. He claims he's a medium, but we always thought he was just a weirdo. He be he became that way after his mother passed away. He said that his beings of light told him that it could be possible that we will witness strange lights appearing very soon. He said not to be afraid that they were good and harmless. I said that I did not know exactly what I had seen and told him please not to talk about this in the town. I left and went back to the house. When I got home, I started telling my wife about my quick investigation and even told her about the neighbor's weirdo cousin. But honestly, I was thinking at this time that it could not be possible. There had to be an explanation. I did not want to believe in aliens or beings of light, especially not in my backyard. Poor me, UFOs did not exist for me before March 28th. The cousin's comments were strange, but they didn't scare me at all. After all, he was supposed to be a weirdo. Not more than 10 minutes later, the phone rang. It was Erica, the neighbor, and she told me that she just called her cousin, Henry, and told him that we might have seen UFOs. He told her to tell us not to be afraid. His beings of light had known about the UFO and the lights, and he told her that I could call him if I wanted, 
and she gave me his phone number. I thought I had nothing to lose by contacting the medium, but Helene was against it. You are still in shock. I don't think it would be a good idea. Please be careful, she added when she saw that I was still going to make the call. I wanted to understand what happened, and I was willing to get information any way I could, so I picked up the phone. After I explained who I was, Henry greeted me and asked how I was doing. Instantly, I started crying. I told him that I was so afraid. I was desperate and exhausted. He told me not to be afraid, that there are good and bad ones, but those that came in my backyard were good. He seemed to go into a trance and talked on and on, and I wondered how I could end the conversation. Finally, I interrupted and said, Henry, why me? After a silence, he replied, because you are down to earth. What happened when I blacked out? Where is that lost time? They didn't want you to see some things. What do they want from me? Give yourself time. It will all come to you. Give yourself time and be receptive. When I asked if his beings of light were the ones in the backyard, he said no. I was becoming confused. I didn't understand who these beings of light were. He wanted to talk to me in person, and we agreed to meet at the house on April 4th. After I hung up, I thought Helene might have been right. Maybe I shouldn't have called him. Was he really a medium? I didn't know. I started regretting the plans to meet him. In spite of everything he said, I didn't feel any better. I was still afraid. We'll continue the story of Charles and Aline Fontaine's UFO encounter and its startling and disturbing aftermath in our podcast on May 16th. Believe me, it gets even stranger. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical.